You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. All right, uh, Guten. I hope people had a productive day and hopefully not a day that they were overwhelmed by the bad news or the news that was coming out. And hopefully they were able to get a lot of their their normal things done. We want to start uh, and, and be Kavua. So we're going to start with uh, Shulchan Aruch, Ehilchas Pesach, as part of the Dirshu program. And then we're going to do the Yerushalmi as part of the Kivalevich Netter program. And then we're going to do Dafyemi Bavli. So hopefully we'll be able to do it all uh, and finish by 9 o'clock. So we'll start with the Shulchan Aruch. It's Simen Tov Samach Zayin and it's uh, Vov. So here we go. I've sent out to most of the people that I thought were relevant here the 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 source, and here it is. Sifov. So I get a shipment of wheat. I get the kernels, and I see, oh boy, there's some there's some that have popped here. Uh oh. Do I throw all of them out? No. The ones that are not popped, I could say, I think I did this yesterday. The bottom, which is drenched by the earth, the top, which gets the most rainfall and other stuff on it, those can become chametz. But the water doesn't necessarily go all the way into the middle. And therefore, uh, one doesn't necessarily have to assume that his stuff is chametz. Of course, whatever he finds that's mispakeya, that of course he should throw out. Um, and that's what the Mishnah Berurah says in Sifkot and Yutes. You have to at least uh, throw out the ones that are popped like that. Or if you have shishim connected before Pesach, then you can say bittel because you will say bittel, and it's not chazer v'neir. Because it's probably, as we know, Chazer Veneir on Pesach is only when you have a situation of Yovesh B'Yovesh. But if you've already ground it into flour, uh, even though some of them might have been possibly Chomets, but if it was 60 times more, so even according to the Ashkenazim that are Machmar and Chazer Veneir on Pesach, it doesn't apply to uh, Lach Belach, something that is it. All or two, if you could just uh, mute your phone or you want to tell me who you are, it's fine, it's okay. But... Uh, um, as we can hear you, we can hear the noise there in the background. So, um, unless you have a certain point, if you don't mind uh, muting it, I, I'm very happy you're here, whoever you are. <laughs> but thank you. All right. So that is, um, that is Sif, uh, Sivov. We're now on Siv Zion, Tov Samach Zion, Siv Zion. Yisrael Shiyeshul Baris Meleim Chitim. Okay. The man is a, 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 is a wheat merchant, and he has pits in the ground, crevices that are filled with wheat. Now, he's emptied them out, and he sold his wheat, and, and everybody has made mats of it, but the wheat owner is worried because the places where he's been storing his material is is quite wet, and he's worried, hmm, I don't see it. But uh, maybe there's some chametz in there. What do we do? So we know when you think you have chametz, you need to go and search it out. We know the din of bitul chametz, even though it works minatera, you can just mevatel all your chametz in your house. The rabbanon say you have to do bedika and bitul as well. You can't rely just on bitul. 
So Lachora, here's a guy who has wheat, and there's wetness, and there's liquid, and there's dampness. Does he need to go into the bore and search and get rid of that stuff the same way he has to do it in his house? So this is uh, a, a Chuvas Harashba. Many, many of these psalkim come from the Rashba, and you see that the Rashba uh, was actually the Godelator in Psak. So what does what's the halacha? He says, If you did bitl, that's good enough. The Mishnabura explains this very nicely. If you take a look at the Mishnabura, he says, Because um, it's down there in the pit. You're not going there. In other words, normally when there's chametz in the house, you can't just do bitl. Because you might find it, you might forget, you might eat it. You might say, oh, I don't want to give this up. But these are things that are very far, even though they're not physically far from you, they're down at the bottom of a pit or on the side of the pit. That's like a mapolis has fallen over it. That's not a place you're going to be going. And even though it's technically your rishus, you don't have to worry about it. And therefore, bitl works. But, oh, then he gives another reason. The svek sveka, uh, this is better than chametz that you know is under a mapolis. Because over here, even though you know it was wheat and water, you don't know 100% that the water actually, those pieces of wheat that are stuck there, uh, actually affected it and, the, and it has popped. Even if you want to say that did happen, it's down there in such a, and it's been sitting there for such a, you know, long time, uh, exposed to the elements. Maybe it's not chametz anymore. Shem So you have a svek sveka to allow you, uh, not, all you have to do is bitl. Okay. Now we're coming to Sif Ches, a very interesting Sif. You can see if you scroll to the next page that it's a pretty long one. It takes up the next page. And even goes into the third page. So that's where we're going to spend all our time, the rest of the time, on Siv Ches. And most of it, we're going to be, what we need to know about, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, about learning uh, Mishnabura. What is it about? Learning Mishnabura is really, in a way, going into a time machine. Yes, you can definitely extract Halachalamaisa. Uh, you have to work at it a little bit. But most of when you learn Mishnabura or Shulchan Aruch, which is Mishnabura, is a bear in Mishnabura, you need to think about the way things were in those times. And you get frustrated sometimes when you say, well, tell me Alocha Lamaisa today. How is the Alocha today? It's not always the same. But at least you need to know the source of what you're referring to to be able to know whether it's different or the same. And the source, of course, is the Shulchan Aruch. Mishnabura is the classic source for us. So when you can need a little bit of background. Um, it's about the way they, uh, the way honey was sold. Now, honey and sugar, that's going to be the main topics. Honey and sugar, these sweet items. And everybody has a sweet tooth. And in fact, it was honey and, and more, more sugar than honey. And of course, was one of the major things that pushed the slave trade. That's why, uh, it was the sugar canes and things that were being developed in the New World in South America and then in the islands. Uh, that brought so much terrible slave, the slave labor from Africa because there was an unquenchable thirst for sweet stuff from sugar and stuff like that. It was expensive, though, you know, to bring it over, even with the slaves and stuff. And honey and sugar were both expensive items that everybody couldn't get enough of. The, now here's, now I know that's number one. Number two, 
the non-Jews that were the merchants there in many ways, the Jews weren't necessarily uh, involved. The owners of these companies, the sugar and honey companies, were non-Jews. And it came to the rabbis, uh, understand the rabbis were able to discover, and I guess uh, that a lot of the honey and sugar that was sold was not pure. The honey was actually mixed in with flour. So there was a, a how much flour? It couldn't be too much, otherwise you know it was a phony. But flour was able to stretch the consistency of the honey and the sugar, so it turned out you didn't have to put as much in, and you could still you still have to buy it at those prices. So that was the issue of 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 the of of sugar and uh and honey. So in other words, the sugar and honey was a shash that the that there was there was flour in there, and the flour would be a problem. Okay, so the uh, now why could why would flour be a problem? Because it would seem even if it's a phony, the guy shouldn't be selling it at that a, a price. Flour doesn't become chametz with honey. That's true. Flour why? Because honey is may peros. May peros ain't a machmitzin. So even if the flour right. But there might be, it depends, if the flour was wet, so then you have liquid and you have the flour, then it might actually be a problem together with that. So that would be one of the issues. So let's take a look at the, now that I gave you that background, the same problem happened with sugar. Sugar also was was uh, mixed and cut, as they say, in the uh, in the drug trade. It was cut with with flour. And because of that, there was a a, a, a very big shash on sugar as well. Now, we're going to see something interesting in the show, Mr. Burra today, something in one of the first times I've ever seen it, where he speaks about a hashkocha from a rabbi, that the rabbi of that place was checking the, the sugar, and he knew that it wasn't the problem. So let's start with honey first. You don't necessarily assume that it was put, flour was in there. You don't know. There are some, there are some honest non-Jews who's, who are selling honey. So you don't necessarily have to assume that there's flour in there. And even if there was flour, it's possible, as we said, that there was no water in it, and therefore even it's, it's not a problem of chametz in the honey. And you can eat it on Pesach itself. Not just can you keep it, but you can eat it on Pesach. You don't have to assume what you've been hearing. If you don't know it, you don't assume an Isser is there. That's the Machaber quoting the uh, quoting the Ravon and the Rosh. That's the Machaber. Now, now the Ramos says Miu Yesh Machmirin, but there are some who are Machmir. Now, Vahaminig Bebedinaseilu, the Minig the Ramos says is Shelo Lechodvash Rak Oisam Shemuvoyim Bechaviyos Minakiveres. So the Mordechai, the Ramal quotes, is worried because in those Ashkenazi areas, uh, it was it was rife with this problem of flour together with the honey. The Ramal now has like an opinion in the middle, though. He says, our minig, though, is to eat, use which honey do we use from the non-Jews? It's the one that comes in the giant size barrels. Now, why the giant size barrels? 
because there was three basic types of, of, of weights to sell honey. Even if they, the one way was they would go to the beehive where they, where the bees were busy making their honey and they would basically stuff everything into the big barrel, including the bee stalk, including the, the shava, including that, uh, uh, including the, the, uh, the honeycomb, the honeycomb itself. Yes. And that, that would go into the barrel. And then people would come and they would like schlep out with their hands. Those type of barrels, uh, those are almost clear. You can't put any flour in it because that's that's like as pure as it comes. So there was no worry that the non-Jew had put some flour in over there. That was almost like going to the beehive. The only thing is he ripped the whole beehive up and he stuck it into a barrel and they would take it to the market and that's where people would come and buy it. That There wasn't a problem. Then, and also the honey there was not even yet marusak. The honey was like big, thick pieces. So because of that, you know, there's no situation. Then you had other barrels. You had barrels that were large, but the honey had already become syrupy. The the shava, the comb and everything had already been moved away. It was just a large, large amount. So there the problem wasn't as, as prevalent, but in the small containers, that's where they were cutting it with flour. So that's what the uh, the Ramah is telling us, that the minig in, in the Ashkenazi countries is only use the ones that are the most organic, the ones that are the most natural, where you actually get from the honeycomb itself. Now he also says, Now the, 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 the Mishnah Bura says this could even be talking about some of the other containers that might have flour in it. Because even though there might have been some flour in it, and you might have some chametz in that flour, but once you use the honey and before Pesach make mead out of it, so now you've already processed it further. So even though there might have been some flour there, but now it's become bottle with the liquid and everything else that's turned into the honey drink. So now, even if there was this issue of chametz before, you have turned it into uh, you've turned it into uh, mead. There's a question whether this you could do this on Pesach itself, possibly as well, maybe uh, again because it's only a suffix, and by making it into mead, uh, you've definitely moved it even farther away. There's even a taruvos and a bittel, etc. Now, besides, now I mentioned uh, in my introduction to this simon, uh, to this seed, we have five more minutes on this, but I mentioned about honey and sugar. But there was also a problem, te'enim yevashim v'avonim yevashim, dried figs and raisins, shakirin raisinis, whether they're big or small. Now, why? So we look in the Mishnah for a second in in Sif Kotn Chavzayin, the yeshk shashim afazim aleim kemach b'shov shemiyav shemayzan. You know, you want to get it dried. So how do you get these dry? You know, especially when you go to, uh, to uh, One Stop or any of the places that sells dried, these dried fruits, they have this sugary powder on it. What is that? So what is it possible they put some flour on there? So there were places, that's what they did. Also, there was a problem with the raisins. Even though the raisins didn't seem to have any sort of powdery, powdery stuff on it, but the raisins, the Mishnah says, While they were making bread, they would stick raisins into the oven in order to dry them out. 
Now, there were places, of course, that they dried them, like you see uh, Sundra, Sunmade, right? The Triangle K raisin that everybody eats, right? It's actually dried in the sun. But people that didn't dry it in the sun, there was a shash that was actually done in an oven where they were baking bread. And that might cause a problem in terms of Zaya and other things. So therefore, there was a Chumrah not to use dried raisins, to use raisins or uh, figs. But Ramos says, It depends. Some places they have a, a better hold on things, some places they don't. Therefore, the Ashkenazim say, look, we, we hear so many different places. We've coming up, you know, when, I guess when the Rabbonim met, you know, at their, at their uh, conventions, and they decided what we we're going to do. They, the directives for this year is, don't eat any of these dried uh, fruits. Don't eat it straight because of the problems. Unless you happen to have personal information on how they were dried, then you got to be worried that maybe they were either dried in the wrong type of oven or the, or flour was somehow used. Zukar osr and sugar for the same reason because of the amount of flour and stuff that was used in sugar. Uh, and to, to, to cut the sugar with sugar, don't eat sugar. I feel I show so also. Now, this was from the Truma Sadesh, and there was such a prevalent problem that they were machmer to treat it like chomets mamish, and you have to sell it to a goy, get rid of it, don't have it in your house, don't have sugar in your house. However, of Achron, on the last day of Pesach, when it's only the Rabbonon, when Pesach is only the Rabbonon, Ochumperos Yevashim. We allow people, even in our Ashkenazi places, to eat uh, dried fruits because it's only achshash. We don't really know that it's bad. And tzukar, hayudi, utzukar kandil, a tzukar kandil. Now, what is this tzukar kandil? Yes. No. When when you say when you talk about the uh, eating the uh, this stuff at the last day of uh, uh, Pesach, Pesach yeah. it's, it's usually the uh, only kidneyot. This has nothing to do with kidneyot. Oh, so right, but this is you're right. But it's 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 such a chash of chomets. It's a chash rochok of chomets. So the chumra of not eating dried fruits was lessened on the last day. Because they, you have no positive knowledge of how it was done. You don't see any of the flour. So you're right. This is another. This is something new. You haven't heard about Moshe yet. That there's another kula. Not only a. By the way, kidneyos. I haven't seen anyone be makele on kidneyos by the Ashkenazim. But on the, we yeah, don't bring to gebrucks maybe. Moshe. They're makele on gebrucks, and here's another kula to be makele on 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 on. Um, on dried fruit. Now, this sukkah. I know, I know from fact that uh, the father of uh, Allah Shalom, Raf, this Raftite, used to go to Abraham's home on last day of uh, Chag to eat rice. <laughs> All right, that's an interesting minute. It's it's obviously there's a similarity to what we're seeing here. That there's coolers, there was coolers on the last. Rabbi Tait, Abba Rabbi Tait. Wow. 
Okay, so there are again there again we we we'd have yep. to align what sort of kulas happen on the eighth day. This is one of them that we're seeing here in Shulchan Aruch. Now, I just want to talk a little bit before we get to the Yerushalmi about the tzuker kandil. What is this tzuker kandil that we're talking about? So, um, so take a look at the Mishnah Bura Lamed Aleph. This isn't this sugar that gets into these globs, like these real globby pieces of sugar, like like fruit on the fruit on the foot. Those you have to be more worried about. What do we mean here? And you can't eat them on beyond of Achron. That's why they're called Kandias or Knadels. They came from Kandia, which is Crete. That's uh, uh, an island in the Mediterranean. It was called Kandia, which was also in English known as Crete. Um, that's like the sugar cubes that, that have been discovered that we know there's no Chomets there. So if that's true, why didn't they eat it during the rest of Pesach? On the other days, you needed to have a heksher on the package. Even though the ones that came from Crete technically don't need a heksher, the Ashkenazi rabbis were worried that people are going to confuse it. Oh, you're eating this? I'm going to eat this. So on the eighth day, they allowed people to eat stuff that came from Crete because they knew it wasn't, uh, there was no problem with that sugar. And, uh, and, and during the rest of Pesach, even with the Ramos Humra, sugar that developed with a Heksher, you were allowed to eat. Um, but that, that doesn't make sense at all. That doesn't make sense? Yeah, if you go to someone's house, you're, going, you're watching them eat uh, cubes of sugar. Are you asking them? Uh, are you asking them to see the hechsher? Uh, okay. So again, as I Effie, before you joined in today, I mentioned I mentioned that uh, part of learning Shulchan Aruch is going into a time machine. All right, things things have changed a lot from the time the Shulchan Aruch was written to today, um, and and. and um, the going to somebody's house is always an issue about what they have and how to do it in the in, in the proper way. Um, if you take a look at Sif Cotton Choftes, I think it'll become a little clearer. That's like sugar cubes. Kikova looks like a little hat. They already discovered the rabbis and the scientists and the, and the the people that were involved in buying and selling. They realized that these sugar cubes cannot be made properly with flour because they're too they're too tough. They would fall apart if you put flour in. The minik still was not to use them on Pesach. You would sell them along with the chomets. But if it has a big stamp that it's kosher, 
So then no one is going to worry that, oh, I'm going to mix this up with the other. So here we see one of the first places that I've ever seen from the Chafetz Chaim, the significance of having the Hechsher. The Hechsher, because it's more kosher than the other one. It's because once you you buy it and you pay more maybe, and it has a Hechsher on the package, you know you're not going to create, oh, if I can eat this, I can eat this. So the Hechsher doesn't just mean you know it's kosher. It also means it stops you from extracting, if this is kosher, then I can have this as well. And that's what he says, let's finish off here. And therefore, that you have to be more worried about, still, it might not be a problem. And that's why um, on the eighth day of Pesach, you can eat the regular sugar cubes, you can have sugar cubes from Crete, uh, sugar, regular sugar from Crete, because it was only a chumrah anyway. And therefore, there wouldn't be a problem of having that sugar on the eighth day. Okay, uh, we'll, from this, we'll start tomorrow from eating uh, karkom and uh, saffron and cinnamon and other things like that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. So that's the Shulchan Aruch part. We're now going to move to the Yerushalmi part. And there's going to be something pretty shocking in the Yerushalmi today. And it's good because we're talking about things that give shocks, earthquakes. So we're going to start with the Yerushalmi, starting no, from the... Let me PSA. Everybody mute their phones, please. Rabbi, let me ask you, did you, did you watch the, the video by Rabbi Mutsafi about uh, the drink he should make and it's going to protect you from coronavirus? He said it's from the Kabbalah, from the Zohar. It, it, uh, Effie, I'll tell you, I've <laughs> I, 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 everything I do is just trying to get this year done. I haven't had a chance to be aware of what else is going on. So I haven't been feeling so well. I'm, I, I'm using all my energy in this year, but I have not heard it. If you want to send it to me, I'll look at it later. I'll send it to you. All right, so let's now, let us now uh, deal with the Yerushalmi. It's page one of what I sent today. Give us a minute. I have to open it. All right. Oh, no, hold on. I have okay. to open it. All right, Effie, if you could just mute your uh, mic. So, all right. And okay, so uh, Baruch Hashem, today we're going to the Yerushalmi. We have three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We have nine people with us, just like we had yesterday. Plus me is ten. So we have a minion Baruch Hashem people learning. Here comes the Yerushalmi. Alazikim, which is like a comet or a shooting star. Alazavos on earthquakes. Alabrakim, right? That is lightning. Reimim, thunder. Alaruchis, huge winds. Omer. Baruch Shekocho Moleolam. We say Kocho Gurosso. Yeshalmi has Kocho Moleolam. Alaharim, mountains, givos, even hills. Yamim, Nahoros, oceans, rivers, midbaros, deserts. Omer, Baruch Oseberatius. We, of course, say Oseberatius. But again, the Nusach in Yeshalmi is right in front of you. Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, Harayas Hayam Agodo. Rabbi Yehuda is always about making very specific brochos about what you're seeing. Rabbi Yehuda, the whole Mesech, the brochos, Shita is every bracha should be very unique to the thing you're eating or the thing you're seeing. Therefore, if you happen to see the Mediterranean, you say Baruch Sha'osa You describe what it is that you're seeing. But these brachos about seeing incredible things are only when you see it with prakim, meaning once in a while. We'll see how much that is in the Yerushalmi tonight. Allah 
When rain, it's been a drought, and now it starts to rain. A good, oh, there's a good shmua, things, good positive things have happened. The stock market went back up again. Tony Bar Kapara Masrian Alazavas. He says, You don't make a bracha Masrian. We gotta bring everybody to the Beit Knesset and blow the shofar and Davin. <laughs> when 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 earthquakes happen, that's bad news. It must be that God is angry at us. That's what Bar Kapara said. Shmu Omar, speaking about comets, he said he says, In over Hahin Zika Bixil. If you're going to have a comet that's going to pass through the constellation known as Xil, the Fool, or uh, Orion, Machriv Olam, if that happens, the world's going to be destroyed if a comet goes through there. Mesivin with Shmuel, they asked Shmuel, on page two now, of the Yashalmi that I sent. Vanan Chomin Lo Ovar, we've seen comets and shooting stars passing through Orion. Omer Lehen, less after, you guys are wrong. Either it was a little bit before, or it was a little bit after. Shmuel said about himself, I know all about the, the, the movement of the of places of the stars, all the pathways of the stars. I know about them. As well as I know the, 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 uh, the markets of my street, Nardoi. But Bar Minahinzika, I just don't know about these comets. Lesson of Yodamai, what do they come from? What do these comets or shooting stars? Those I don't I can't figure out what what is it that creates them and where they're going exactly. I know they're there and I know what they portend, but I don't have those I don't have an astrological knowledge of them, astronomical knowledge of them. So the Gemara says, how was Shmuel, this man living in, in Iraq, in Nardo, how was he able to have such clear understanding of the stars? So Mara says, El Eov was told by the Rabona Shalom that sometimes God in his wisdom can give people an understanding like Galileo, like Isaac Newton by others. Shmuel was one of those people. Now he got it from the Torah. Through the Torah and through his love of knowledge, Shmuel was the master of of, of 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 these stars. He was also known as Yarchano. He was called Shmuel Yarchano because he knew all about the, the the phases of the moon. He was a doctor as well. Uh, the Gemara says that they called him to try to heal Yehuda Hanasi when Yehuda Hanasi Rebbe Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi Akadosh was going through his terrible gastro illness. It was Shmuel that was the doctor. So he was a doctor, a scientist, a posek, a dayan. He was one of the great heroes. Of Shas. Next. Um, Rabbi, didn't he not only know this from the Torah, he also had diagrams in his attic. He had uh, astrological maps. I think that was from Gamliel who had the diagrams, but I'm sure he also worked on it as well. I, I guess, Avrami, what I'm trying to say is, is that he was a lover of knowledge, and learning Torah and everything about Torah made him gave him a, a sensitivity to wisdom and science and understanding, and I'm sure God helped him out to figure stuff out as well. So it's all a combination. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a curious mind. You have to be intelligent. You also have to put the time in to be able to be like that. And he was the standout in his generation of who knew what was going on with the planets and the stars. Next. Here comes the interesting stuff. Elio Zao Shol Rab 
Eliyahu Anovi asked Rab Nuroi, Why are earthquakes happening? They, they cause so much destruction. On our way, so Rab Nuroi told Eliyahu Anovi, I think I know why. It's in the ground. When we do not relish and appreciate the gift of the ground by giving trumas and maestros to God, God causes the ground to shake and bring earthquakes. How does he know? One Basak says, when God looks at the earth, God, it's good. God's eyes are on it, and that's very good. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, it's all peaceful. But another Pasuk says into him, because of Echad Oimer, that what's going on when God is looking, when God looks at the earth, it shakes. So one Pasuk says God's eyes are on the earth and it's positive. The other Pasuk says until when God's eyes are on the earth, the earth trembles. How could that be? So that's what Rabbi Roy says. Okay, it's like Yiskai Mushnei Ksuvim Alolu. How could both Psukim be correct? When we're doing our mitzvahs, and what does it mean we do our mitzvahs? That we, we work, we plant, and we make sure we take off trumas and maestros properly. We take them out, we give them to the Kohen, we, 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 we keep a record. Then we're never punished. HaKadosh Baruch says, yes, you're doing the right thing. You are good stewards of the planet. But when we don't do God's will, then when God looks at the earth, he says, they're not doing what's right with the earth. I'm going to cause, I'm going to cause an earthquake. I have to, that was, okay. That was Tzio calling in, I think. Can somebody send Theon uh, the way to call him? Maybe you put him on speakerphone. That's the best you can get out of it right now with technical support. Okay. Okay. Rabbi. Yes. Rabbi. (laughs) Jackie is asking, how could this have ever been an answer? How could how could how could uh, this might explain earthquakes in Israel? But how could this explain earthquakes in places where there are no Jews and there's no mitzvah to take off trumas and maestros? That's Jackie's question. Very good question, Jackie. Um, and 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 could be this was only be a, a question. Uh, could be Nehuroi was only talking about where the about where Jews are taking trumas and maestros. He wasn't trying to explain earthquakes all over the planet. He was only trying to explain earthquakes there. Um, Let's see what Elio Anovi answered him. On um, Marley. Okay. Says, Which page we are? So this is the second page of the Yashalmi, Binyo. The second page of the Yashalmi. Uh, okay. Did somebody send you, someone sent you the sources for tonight? I have it. I have it in front of me. Okay. So it's the I second it. page, right in the middle of the page. So he said, Amarle, Bini, Chayecha, Kachi, Svara, Demilsa. What you said is a good svara. 
And I'm not saying it. And like Jackie, like I, like I told Jackie, it's a good smore what Rav Neroy says. But I'm Elio Anovi, and I'm going to tell you what the real reason is. God looks at the soccer stadiums. He looks, or, or at he looks at the gigantic theaters. kirkasios, the big agendas of sports. Yosheves betach v'shanan v'shalva. And you see all how beautiful everything is. And look how they're packed with people, millions of people, 100,000 people watching the Olympics, the sports. And the Beis HaMikdash is, is, is sitting in he, he can't believe it. Human beings are building these incredible edifices to sports, to fun, to rock concerts, and they're packed with people. And we have a building that's supposed to be the greatest building in the world. Human beings don't care about it. They're letting the Beis HaMikdash sit there being destroyed. God says, I'm going to shake up that earth. God screams like a lion because of the Naveyu. Because of his place, because of his his place that he was supposed to live, the Mishkan, the Beis Hamikdash, Bishvil Naveyu, and that's again uh, today. All those big sports places are empty, right? All those giant coliseums and stuff. There's nothing going on over there. But that's what I call it. What? That's right. That's right. But you can imagine what it is. A base Amikdash, ah, nobody's caring. No one's trying to build it. But everybody's building the giant stadiums and shooting in there and everything like that. And that's why the Pusik says, Shoag Yishag Al Naveyu. Now, this but, but, is, then, but on the other, time, on the other hand, you had 100,000 people going in when you had to see them. Okay, that Akonis Baruch was probably happy yeah. about that, but most of the world, most of the world is 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 not that That's way. Probably why you can be sure because of that serum, the the world is much better. It could have I'm been sure. much worse. Now listen to this one. Rav Acha says, "Ba'avon Mishkav Zohar." The reason why there's earthquakes is because of homosexuality. It's because of Mishkav Zohar. <laughs> And that's also a reason for dogs. <laughs> you, what happened? The men were having sex. Now, it's good, again, to be Mizdazea, your Aver, with a woman. That's not, that's what it's supposed to be. But here you are shaking your Aver over in the body of somewhere where your Aver shouldn't be. On something that's not What's supposed to be with another man? Because of, of and again, this was Rav Acha's opinion. He felt that, and again, maybe you can see from here that there was a there was quite an outbreak of homosexuality in the Roman world, and that's what he was saying. That's sort of like mida keneged mida, the type of shaking and quaking during sex. By the way, that's what rock and roll, by the way, the word rock and roll, which is music, it also was a euphemism for sex. Rock and roll, that's why people said rock and roll is the devil's music. A cop on him, they were rocking and rolling with other men. Because of that, God rocked the earth. Uh, that's what Ravacha says. Maybe that's why. 
Well, let's just get, just move on over here again. There's a lot of interesting material. I want to try to get to it. Rabbanan said the reason why there are earthquakes is because of arguments, fighting among the different factions. What does it say? It says in Zechariah, it's like, it's like the valley gets smashed and everybody's running away. And over there, it says over there, like it was in the time of Uzziahu. In the time of Uzziah was a machlekes between the Kohanim and the Malachim, who should run the country. That's when earthquakes happen. Earthquakes are like a symbol of a, of, 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 of a lack of achtas in among the, among our people because of the machlekes. If you want to know what rash comes from, the rash comes from uh, the fact that this is a period where this government is going to end and a new government is starting. Yermia spoke about the fact that there was going to be an earthquake in Babylonia. That's because Babylonia was going to lose its power. So an earthquake is sort of like the indicator that a certain period has, has stopped and a new period, a new political period has started. So these were different ways Chazal had to look at the rationale behind earthquakes. Another question of Yohanovi asked Rabnu Roy, Why are there so many creepy, crawly things? Why are there so many ugly cockroaches and other sorts of other creepy, crawly vermin in our world? So that was Elio's question of Rabnu Roy. Rabnu Roy says, God created them for a reason. Why? When people sin, you can look at them and say, These bugs bugs that are are, uh, no one likes them. What do they do? They just they just ruin the world. God keeps them around, but they didn't have bechir to do chet. We as human beings, even though we've done Averot, God will keep us around. So having these roaches... Yes, right. It's very similar to David's question. Yes. David wanted to know about the Shpin. He wanted to know about the spider. But here we're talking about even worse than spiders. We're talking about cockroaches and vermin and I don't know, you you name it. Bed bugs, yes, bed bugs, fleas, all these things which seemingly don't do anything positive. Why are they in the world? So Rabbi Nuroi says they're there to teach us a lesson that if God keeps them alive, God will keep us alive even when we lose our right to live by going against him. That was one answer. So let's see what Elio Novi answered him. He says, V'amar, um, there's a reason for them. For example, Zvuv. We don't like all these flies. But you know what you can do with a fly? When a hornet bites you, you can crush a fly and you stick it into the hornet bite and it'll cure you. And the hornet and the bees, of course, do pollination. But the flies, the flies can do something positive if you kill, if you crush them. A pishpesh, which is like a, a, a flea, right, or 
right? A, a, a roly, you crush it up and you put it where a leech, a nochash, a snake, lechafifus, right? When you have a, a boil, when you have a, a, a scar, you could you could actually boil up a snake in oil and use it. Shivlon, a slug, lechazios. When you have different types of scars, samamit, a spider, laakrav. When a scorpion bites you, you can take spiders and crush them and put it on you. So these, all these bugs, they have a purpose. They all can help us in curing various types of diseases. Okay. Even, even today, today I had, I had one time a pain patch. I born in Canada in Montreal many years ago, and he had he had the rot in brilliant. It's possible. Yes. Again. We don't know what the purpose of all these myriad creatures in the world. Let's go on in the Yerushalmi. When you make a bracha on thunder and lightning, once a day is enough. You don't have to make a bracha every single time. Rabbi Yossi says, one second. What are we talking about? If it's tardin, Meaning that the clouds are all together and there's like a little break and, and it's just raining and thundering the whole day. You're right. One bracha in the morning is all you need. But if all the clouds move apart and now it, it starts to rain again and thunder, then you got to make a bracha again. There's a proof for Rabbi Yossi from this following halacha, which is very similar. What does it say? Let's say a person is sitting in a uh, in a perfume shop all day. When he walks in the morning, he makes a bracha. That's it. Well, let's say... He comes in and out and in and out. That's a break. If there's a break, you make a new bracha similar to a break in the weather. Let's say you're sitting in the bathroom or let's say you were sitting in a place the base of Fikria, some of Farshim say, that's the place where the, the executioner's room. That's the place where they're about to kill someone. And people defecate right before they get killed because they're scared. And you're in that place. You're working there. And then what happens? You hear thunder and lightning. So, Im page 3. If you can go out of the bathroom or go out of the executioner's spot and go away from where the terrible smell is in time enough to make the bracha, then go out and make the bracha. But if you can't get out of there in time, it's too late. So, even though you heard thunder and lightning, but it's too long between the thunder and lightning and the bracha, you don't make the bracha. Rav, hear me, a boy. What about in a hospital? In a hospital? If it's a, if, what's the pshat, Rabbi? What's the halacha? So the halacha is that if you cannot get out, you don't make the bracha. But, Rav, hear me a boy. In the hospital, so what? In the hospital. Okay, so... In the hospital, if you hear it, Okay, there's two questions. All right, so Binyo and Effie each has a different question. Uh, Binyo wants to know, can we use this Yerushalmi to Paschal Alochem I don't know. 
<laughs> it could be a local There are some shitas that hold that if you're an onus, as soon as you're out of the bathroom, you can make the brachim that would happen a little while ago. It depends how you were in Pshad in the Yerushalmi. I don't know if the Yerushalmi is halachamamaisa, but it's enough, I think, to be a suffix whether you can make the brachim. So if you're in the bathroom and the thunder and lightning's out there, and then you, you quickly run out, but it's a couple, it's already after Tocha de Dibur, based on the Yerushalmi, you wouldn't make a brachim. Now, Effie wants to know, what about if you're in a hospital room and I guess somebody is incontinent and he's not, is that what you mean? He's in a hospital room with someone who doesn't who isn't able to control his back. A hospital because of people not being able to control their bowels and therefore yeah. it smells. Okay, so that would be the same thing. Let's just do one more thing. Um, hear me, a boy. Hear me. I had a question. Let's say you're naked in your house. You can't get dressed, but maybe your house is like a piece of clothing and you stick your head out the window. So the same way you can stick your head out of, if you sleep naked, you stick your head out of the cover. Maybe you can stick your head out of the window of your house and the house should be like a big cover covering your body. Would that work? Or let's say, uh, you're in a migdal, but you're naked, right? Migdal mahu shayase lo kamin malbush, Maybe that should be uh, my head. My head is in a different spot. We, 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 in the, in the Gemara and Shabbos, we see it's considered maybe the same place. But maybe for a bracha, it counts. The Yerushalmi doesn't have an answer. Could be that could count. Could be you can make such a bracha. Okay. That is the end for the Yerushalmi today. Now we're going to go to the Bavli. Okay. So it's, uh, it's right now. 819, that's exactly where I wanted to be. We have 40 minutes. We're going to now do the Bavli. So that's the third uh, 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 attachment. So uh, the Bavli, again, is Yud, uh, on the bottom of Yud Aleph Ahmed Beis. Um, I said we would review, and I'm going to start. We go down from the bottom of the page. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14 lines from the bottom of the page. Tani Choda. All right. In order to explain this, I, um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15, 14. Four, 15 lines? 15. I have 14. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay, eight. Okay, Tani Now, one price says, We explained what this was yesterday. The Zov wears a special sort of jock strap around his aver in order to catch what's coming out of the tip of his penis. Okay. On Shabbos, he can wear it, but he can't go outside and Shusarab him wearing it. Vim What's the din? Potter. Avalosser. It's only an Isra the Rabbonin, even if he went into Rishas HaRabim with it. Okay. But Tanya Yidach, another Bryson says, Lo Yotza Vim Yotza Chayev Chattas. 
he shouldn't go out and he's chayv v'chatas. It's called a real act of otsa, even though he's wearing it in a very weird way. It's pshat. Rav Meir and Rav Yehuda have a machlokas in the following case. Rav Meir says that let's say you have a, a, a tailor. A tailor usually, when he's rushing to a job, he carries his uh, he carries his his items of use in a satchel that he runs to his job with. Or if he's only got a needle and thread, he carries it in his hand. But a certain portion of the day, the tailor wants to get more work, so he carries it in a very big, prominent way, stuck into his clothing, that everybody can see he's a tailor, so they could use him and say, oh, that's the guy that was running in the street, that's the guy that can help sew up my dress. Okay. So, listen to what I'm going to say. According to Rav Meir, even though sometimes a tailor goes out that way, that is not considered Hotsan Shabbos. That's considered an unusual way to carry it because most people in the world carry it in their hands or in a jacket, in a satchel, in a yalkut, in a briefcase. It's it's only uh, once in a while that a tailor puts it in there or, 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 or a money lender puts something in his ear, a coin in his ear. That's not considered derech Rav Yehuda says that for this, once you've decided to become a tailor or a money lender or whatever it is, and, 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 and you are part of the people who try to make money that way, and you spend some of your time advertising, that becomes a derech for you, and you'd be chayev on Shabbos for going out in that way. That's Rabbi Yudah's opinion. Rabbi Yudah is very specific, sort of like we saw in the Yerushalmi today. Rabbi Yudah is very specific about the Mediterranean. He's specific about you. You, Mr. Taylor, you go out on Shabbos with this thing in your clothing. That's an Isser Hotza'ah. It's a Malacha Torah. So maybe it's the same thing with the Zav. According to Rabbi Yehudah, the Zav is unique. It doesn't make a difference. The Taylor is unique. The Taylor is higher for carrying on Shabbos in a way nobody else is. That's why Rebuda says a Zov is Chayef for, for, for wrapping this thing around his Aver, even though nobody else would be Chayef. That's Rebuda. That's why you're Chayef. Rav Meir says you're Bunker. So the Gemara says, Abayah says to Rav Yosef, Where do you see Rav Meir says that? Rav Meir only says that when he's talking about something that most of the world doesn't carry their needles in, in their baguette. And even for the tailor himself, the tailor only spends part of the time advertising himself. That's why Rav Meir says, that's not called Hotsaw. But, but when it comes to a Zav, every single Zav, in the, when people were keeping the laws of Zav, all of them wore that thing around their aver. Every Zav does that. So Rav Meir should admit that you're Chayev Chattis in that case. If you're not going to say that, you're going to tell me you go with what most people do. That in other words, most people, most people, how about this? Most of the people who work on a bikas, who take a piece of wood and allow the amputee, right? Most of the people working on it are umnim. Most of the people are carpenters. Most of the people who take this block of wood and drill out the proper size for the person to put his stumped leg in, most of the people drilling are umnim. 
and they know how to drill it. And they drill it in an exact way that the stump fits in and the guy's able to walk. But sometimes you can't find such a person, and you go to a regular schlepper who happens to have a drill. Now, he's not going to be able to put the same sort of, he's not going to be able to put the same sort of chakak in the bika. He's not going to be able to put it in in the, in the same sort of way. Are you going to tell me he's not chayiv? Just because the, when most people do it, they do it in this way, and he does it in that way. Are you going to say he's not chayiv? Rav Meir, of course you're going to be chayiv. In the same way, you should say you're chayiv for the Zav wearing this thing around his, his aver in such a way. That's the Gemara's kasha. El meyata hedje shechok ekabe b'kas b'shabas Rav Meir achinami duel b'chayiv. So therefore, what's going on? A key thing in learning Gemara is not losing sight what the art, what's happening. We have two Bryces. One Bryce says that a Zav who wears this thing on Shabbos outside of Rishul Sarabim is Chayev Skiva Chayev Chattis. Another Bryce says he's Potter. What's it talking about? So let's see what the answer is. So Rav Amnuna says, Kan Bezov Bal Shterios, Kan Bezov Bal Gimurios. If it's now, again, I mentioned before that when Azov sees twice, when he has this sickness that comes out of his aver, the sickly semen that comes out of him. So if it comes out twice, he now has to, he's tummy for seven days. If it comes out in a third different time, whether it's over one day or two days, however many days it is, he now has to bring Corbano to the base of We talked about that yesterday. When a Zav is wearing it to see, oh, do I have to bring it or not? So he is wearing the cup over his, his, the, the head of his penis in order to discover, hey, do I have to bring a carbon? So that's a reason. That's, that's why he's chayim chattis. But if he's already, if he's already a three-timer, then wearing this thing around him doesn't mean anything, and therefore he's not chayim chattis. Where it says, one second, why is it when it's twice he needs to check what's in the cup to see if anything's streamed in there, to see if he now has to bring a carbon? Three lines from the bottom. He needs it in order to see has his seven days been ruined. Once he's had twice become a Zov, he needs to now have seven clean days that nothing comes out of his Aver in order for him to say Shivanikim. The same Shivanikim women are Machmir, that we're Machmir in all our Nidos to count seven Nikim like a Zova. Men have seven Nikim too when they're a Zov. And therefore you need to have this on your Aver to make sure you're not Tomei that doesn't, because if, if, he, if he sees Ziva during the seven days, it cancels the count. So maybe that's why he's wearing it. But after the three days, he doesn't have to bring, he doesn't have to uh, count for the korban. He knows it's going to be a korban. There is no right, 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 but he needs to have seven clean days, Moshe. So if, if it turns out, if it turns out in one of those days, semen, the, 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 the stuff drips out of him again, it cancels the days that he counted and he has to start over again. So he needs, oh. to, so he needs to have the cup in order to know, is he, is he, is he, is he, is he still counting? Or does he have to start over again? So the Gemara says, okay. So the Gemara says, you know what it could be talking about? Three lines from the bottom. It's talking about on the third day itself. On the third day itself, 
with he always starts counting the next day. So on day three, he basically it's an off day. We know he's got to bring a carbon. He's got to wait for this day to be over, and then seven clean days. But once he's already seen on the third day, carrying this thing on his aver doesn't mean anything. That's why he's not chayav achatus. But maybe he's wearing it because he doesn't want it to drip onto his pants. He doesn't want to have a disgusting stain there. Maybe that's enough to be called oitzah. Now, a question I asked yesterday was, now this is different than clothing. Clothing sticks right onto your body. And you're right, you wear clothing to protect you from the elements and stuff like that. This one, even though it's it's stuck on your body, it's, it's a pain, it hurts. It's not like a piece of clothing. So it's not like a piece of clothing, and yet you want it to protect you. It's like you walk out with a shield. You walk out with a shield, you should be chayev. So again, we're trying to figure out how could one b'risa say that you're potter. So then where it says, Amar Abzeira, hai tanehu. The Amar kol atzulitinef lo There is an opinion that says that if the whole purpose of this object is to stop schmutz from happening, to stop dirt from happening, that's not considered significant in itself. Why not? It's not. We know there's halacha that in order for food to become tome, it needs to become wet. It needs to become mukhshur lakabotuma. Hekshur lakabotuma happens through water. Now, it's only once the food has been, as we mentioned the other day, the food has been harvested, the food has been cut from the ground, if water gets on it, forget about chametz, if water gets on it, it's now mukhshavakabotuma. However, when the Pasik says it, it says, v'chiyutan mayim, when water falls on a food item. But it's spelled yitain mayim, as if water is placed on it. From there, Chazal learn out that the water has to fall on it because you want it to happen. If you are against the water happening, if you don't want the rain, then it's not mukhshavakabotuma. In other words, it can happen without you pouring it, but it has to be that you are okay with it. If you are against it becoming wet, it is not considered mukhshavakabotuma. So let's say the following thing happens. It's raining. And you have... Uh, you, and you have in your backyard, you have a fence. Below the fence, towards the ground, you have food that you have harvested. You have grains that you have harvested. What happens? Let's say the rain is hitting the wall, the fence, the wall. And you take a you take a pot or a plate and you put it on its head. You take the pot and you and you put it on its head. Okay, you put it opposite. What happens? The the rain hits the pot and ricochets onto the food. Is my food mukshavakabotuma? That's the question of this Mishnah in Taharot. Is my food mukshavakabotuma? Why did you put the pot? Why did you take it and put it on? Why did you put it on the on there? Why did you put it on there? If it's because you wanted the rain to get this clean, you figured, hey, let me get this clean. So even though you're not happy that it ricocheted onto the food, that means you wanted this water. That's considered a positive as far as the water goes. You wanted the water here. You want the water here. It ricochets onto the food. That's considered a rut zone on the water. That's considered chiyitain. 
and therefore the food is now muksher to be makabel tuma. The imbishvil, imbishvil shelo yilka kosel. Where are we now? Uh, I'm in the second page. Imbishvil shelo yilka kosel. If it's because you want to protect the wall. That's the reason why you put the pots on there. You put the pots on there because the wall is still soft and you don't want the rain ruining it. So what do you see? That's not considered a rut zone, right? I'm trying to use this pot to protect the wall that's underneath it. There's a wall underneath this pot. The rain hits the pot and bounces onto the food. So since I'm only putting it on here, to protect the wall, that's not considered a desire. I I, I want it to hit the here because I want to protect what's underneath it. That's not considered really wanting the rain on the container. I just want it not to hit what's underneath. But I don't want this. In the same way, when a person puts this, uh, puts this thing around his aver, even though he doesn't want it to drip on his pants, that's not considered wanting the thing. So we're connecting the laws of of what you want in Tum and Tahara to what the way you want an object in terms of caring on Shabbos. This is an example of the Gemara's brilliant connections. Gemara says, one second, me dummy. Awesome, loco boy lehani mashkin klau. Over there, he over there, he doesn't want the rain at all. He basically doesn't want the rain. Since he doesn't want the rain, and therefore he's trying to just cover up his fence. He's trying to cover up his fence because he doesn't want the rain. He doesn't want that water. He knows he's a guy with dripping, and he wants to kiss in order that the drops should go in there. This is similar to the Seifa about Taharos. For example, Areva Shiyora Dele Flatochomayim. Let's say you have a, a, a house that water is dripping in from the roof, okay? And you have food on the floor as well. N- not in an unhygienic way. You've got grains and foods on the floor, okay? But now you have water coming in from uh, upstairs, from, from the roof. So you put a, 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 you put a plate, a pot, in order to accept the water. So what does the, the Mishnah say? Hanitazim, if water ricochets off, vanitzafim, or it floats to the top and flows over, einan b'chiyutan. That water isn't considered to be machshir, the, uh, the the stuff that it drips on. But let's say the stuff that's in the container itself, that's not overflow, that is as if you want it. Because you just des- you decided how were you going to stop the rain that's coming in from the roof? You decided to turn the pot this way. You decided to turn the container in the normal way. So therefore, it's considered if that water drips on food, that means you wanted the water in the container. The same way, the person wants to have the ziva fall into the cup, and therefore he should be chayiv. Ella abayvarava you want to know this again? What are we talking about? One Bryce says a guy, the Zov walks with the thing around his Avery, he's high of Skila. One thing says the Zov walks around there, he's Potter. What's the Machlekas? A fundamental Machlekas in Ilcha Shabbos. Rav Yudha Rav Shimon. Are you high of Shabbos or not? 
Every malach of the 39 malachas, there's a reason why they did it. Why wasn't they did Hotzah? Because they wanted to have this object in a different place. It needs to be somewhere else, right? The Krashim needed to be on the Agalot. The, the beams couldn't be in Rishos HaRabim. They needed to be on the Agalot. That's the purpose of the Malacha. If you're doing it for another reason, for example, I don't, let's say a person's, a a mace babayas, a dead person is in the house and is beginning to smell. You take the body and you take it outside where there's less smell. That's not the purpose of Eitzah. I don't necessarily want the body there. I just don't want it here. That's called the Malacha Shenitzricha Lagufa. According to Rav Yehuda, you're Chayiv. According to Rav Shimon, you're Potter. The same thing with the Zav. The, this is the purpose of Hotzah. What's the purpose of Hotzah? The object needs to be someplace else. The object doesn't need to be someplace else. You want to walk in Rosh Hashanah and you don't want to drip. But this cup that's around your Aver, this little thing that's around your Aver, this contraption that's catching the Ziva, the purpose of, of, of it being here, it's not because you want it in Rosh Hashanah You want to be in Rosh Hashanah and you don't want to be Mekulko. That's not the purpose of Hotzah. That's the reason why you're not Chayav Achatis. That's why you're Potter. Whereas according to Rabbi Yehuda, you're Chayav Achatis. This is very important. If you're going to be learning Hilchah Shabbos, this is a very important machlekas between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon. Malocha she'en otzricha legufa. Next. Here we go. Tanabei Rabbi Shmo. Yotzi yonim betfilin be'erev Shabbos im chashecha. The Mishnah said that you're not allowed to walk 30 minutes before Shkiah. You can't walk around with the, with anything in your hand, if you are a tailor, if you are some sort of Baal Melocha, because we're afraid you're going to do it on Shabbos itself. What about somebody who's wearing tefillin? So would the Yisra apply to that? If a person's still wearing tefillin 30 minutes before Shkia, can he walk around? Yes. A person needs to what? When it comes to tefillin, he's not going to forget. You always know that you're wearing tefillin. You can't just forget you're wearing tefillin, even though you're wearing it all day. In the time of Chazal, they wore it all day. But you have to keep on feeling it or mentally knowing that you have it. How do you know? Kavachomer mitzitz. The tzitz of the Kohen Godel. Matzitz she'en bo'el askara achas Tzitz only says kodesh radonai. There's only one askara in the tzitz. And what does it say? When Aaron wore it, that the, that the tzitz was on his metzach constantly. What does I say tamid for? Just say, he wears the tzitz. Why does it say tamid? The word tamid teaches you that he needs to think about it. Then not only does he have it on him, So tzvillin, the Kohen Gadol has to always know and remember he has the tzitz on. Kalvachomer, we, when we wear tefillin, have to constantly be aware that we have the tefillin on and to know it's there. Hilkach midkardokerluhu. So you're going to remember, you're going to take it off before Shabbos. You're not going to walk around on Shabbos with it. Therefore, the Isra de Rabbanon of our Mishnah doesn't apply to a person wearing tefillin. Tanya chananya omer chayvanu l'mashmesh bebigdayer of Shabbos im chashecha. A person he didn't have so many types of clothing. He had basically one jacket, maybe cleaned it or not. But a person needs to go through the pockets of his clothing to make sure he's not carrying anything in there. Um, before Shabbos, 
Um, Rav Yosef That's a very important halacha that, it, that to check your pockets before Shabbos, not to go out into Rosh Hashanah or even to a Carmelist with them. The Mishnah said, let's go further. Well, you follow as Caleb. A person shouldn't take the the kinim off of his off of his bigodim. Avrami, I hope you're here still. Ibaivahu. Lo yifales kevav. I am. Yeah. Lo yifales kevav. What does it mean? There's two statements in the Mishnah. It says, Lo yifales kevav, lo yikra lo oraner. Lo yikare lo oraner. Does the word oraner go on both or only on one? That's the Gemara's question. Iboilu was asked in the base Medrash, well, Yipalis, Kalev, that could even be Bayom, not even at Friday night. You should not use Shabbos at all for taking uh, taking the lice off of your clothing. Shemiyaharog, because if you take them off, you're not going to resist the urge to crush them. And you're not allowed to kill these things. These are like killing a living thing. You can't kill a living thing on Shabbos. So therefore, we don't want you to start cleaning the stuff off of your clothing. Because once you have this little tiny thing that you hate in your hand, you're not going to be able to stop yourself and you're going to kill it. That's why we tell you, do not do not de-louse your clothing on Shabbos. That's one way to learn. Okay. Shemayarog, the Rebbe Leezer, Tanya, Amar Rebbe Liezer, Ha'horei kina b'Shabbat, Kilo horei gamal. That killing a, a, a louse as if you killed a big camel. What's the difference? Why would you think it's different? So we're going to see later, some people say that a kina, a louse, isn't really a living thing the way a camel and other living things are. Because they don't develop out of normal uh, Peru or Avu, the belief in the time of Chazal was of spontaneous generation, which meant that because of dirt and sweat and other things, that's why these items come to life. But since they don't come to life, for example, where does the Torah say, how do we know you're not allowed to kill? In the uh, 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 How do you know sh- uh, killing or shechita is one of the malachas that was done to build the Mishkan? Well, so Right. So, Jackie, here's the point. When the when we talk about the there's two there was we're not talking about the shchit of korbanos because we learn out the thirty nine malachos of Shabbos from how they built the Mishkan. Where was shchita or killing done in the Mishkan? Where was the killing of an animal of a living thing done to get the Mishkan built? So there's two places that killing happened. One was the chilazon, the chilazon that would that would come up to the land. In order to get the dye out of the chilazon, they would have to smash the chilazon on the head and kill it. The other way was in order to get the skins for the covering of the mishkan, the the elim mudamim, the the red uh, skins uh, uh, of the elim. They would have to they would have to kill the the ayo in order to strip its skin off of it to use as leather to cover the mishkan. So Wasn't the, it, uh, it So the ayo or the or the or the um or the chilazon, those are beings that we know procreate with a male and a female. The Gemara's understanding was that lice do not procreate with male and female. That lice, and this was the belief of many people, uh, e- even into the high Middle Ages and beyond, 
that lice were a byproduct of something called spontaneous generation. And therefore, killing such an item would not be the same thing as killing a another type of living being. Rebbe Eliezer disagrees. Rebbe says it's the same thing. It's alive now. I don't care how it became alive, but it's alive now. If you take the life out of something that has life now, you're chayev. Okay? That's that's why you cannot, again, what are we talking about? When the Mishnah says you cannot de-louse your clothing, it's because we hold like Rebbe Eliezer, because we're afraid once you got that little louse in your mouth, louse in your hands, you will kill it. The other is, sir, is about reading by the light. Shemayata. Oh, Dilma, back in the Gemara, Tarvayu Shemayata. They are both activities that need a good amount of light. Reading needs a good amount of light, like I have right here, and delousing your clothes, because they're very tiny, also needs a good amount of light. And we're afraid that you might bend over the uh, the lamp in order to give yourself a firmer, higher intensity of light. So that's the question. Toshma, that's the suffix. One, what are we doing again? There's a suffix. What does the Mishnah mean? Toshma, let's bring a raya. Ain poilin, you're not allowed to delouse the ain kairin or So you see, <laughs> one second. That's pretty much the same as the Mishnah. Mialima mimas nisan. The Mishnah also seems to say that. Why did you have more of a proof from there in the Mishnah? I can read that to be ain poilin even on a regular, even on the Shabbos by day. Toshma, here's another proof. Ain Paiwan Loraner. Vain Kyron Loraner. So you see that both have nothing to do with killing the kinna. It has to do with getting the job done properly. And we have to tell you both are usser. Because they're both different. Because you might have thought if you maybe reading is something you can't do, because even though everyone wants to learn and read, it's not there's no tsar involved. But if I tell you you can't de-louse, maybe you're going to have tsar, that you have lice all over you, so we want to be mad for that. Or if I say lousing, you can't do. Maybe learning Torah, reading, you can do. So that's why and maybe you need to say both examples, because these are two activities that need you to look at the light, and, and, and we're afraid that if you do it by the lamp, you're going to uh, forget it Shabbos and create a higher fire. So that's why that's what we're saying. The Elim and Alocha Shaomra Balias Khanani Bachiski bin Goran. Shmamino the Tavayu Shemayata Shmamino. They're both based on the din of Shemayata. Let's go on. Amra Vyuda Mershmua Fiul Lahabhin bin Bigdai the Bigdaishtai. Shmuel said, even if it has nothing to do with delousing or reading the fine print of a Rashi, it's because you want to make sure you're putting on, you don't want to wear your wife's blouse. You want to wear your shirt and not your wife's blouse. But it's, you don't have full of electric lights. And on Friday night, you want to put on your right white shirt, but your wife has got a white blouse that looks just like it. You're not allowed to take it to the lamp to make sure, hey, is this my wife's clothing or is this mine? <laughs> okay. Uh, that's also Usr. Amarava, Those are only the people that live in rich places. That's where their clothing is more similar to their wife's clothing. In other words, rich people have very, Rashi says, have very fluffy, uh, fluffy, what is this called? Not collars, but you know what I'm talking about. Fluffy cuffs. 
rich, a, a, a guy who's a working guy, Chaklayasa, a farmer, his clothing, even on Shabbos, is very Spartan. It doesn't look like a, a, woman's, a, a woman's type of shirt. A rich guy who doesn't really do much work, his clothing, even his, his weekday clothing, his Shabbos clothing, it looks very similar to his wife's clothing. Because a, a person who has to work in the fields, he needs to wear very Spartan, utilitarian type of clothing without any big fluffy, uh, fluffy, cow, fluffy uh, cuffs. Whereas a rich guy could wear a fluffy cuff. So his fluffy cuff shirt looks like his wife's fluffy cuff blouse. Okay. And even B'nai Mechuzah, that's only the older people. The older people, their clothing is very similar. The old men's clothes are similar to the old wives' clothes. But when you're talking about the, the younger generation, even in these rich people's homes, the clothing is very dissimilar. So listen to what I'm going to say. You're allowed to bring the clothing to the to the light and to discern the difference. Because you probably don't need such a high-intensity flame to tell the difference. But if you're an old person and living in one an old rich person and your clothing is similar to your wife's, it would be usher for you to do that because it looks very similar, and you're probably going to forget and uh, intensify the flame. Next. Not on Shabbos. You shouldn't sit there where people are around and, and have your friend take lice off of your shirt or off of your jacket or off of your skin. It's disgusting. It needs to be done, but don't do it in a place where everybody's around. This was a minic people would have because they loved to eat. The Romans got the Jews into it. The Romans got the Jews into this custom of barfing out their meal so they can go and eat some more. So they used to take special drinks called afiktivzon, and they would drink it, and that would cause them to throw up, and then they could go eat again. And that's what was a very common thing to do. So it, that's disgusting enough as it is. But don't do it in Rosh Hashanah. Have respect to the people around you. When you, on Shabbos, um, when you are taking these things off of your clothing, molel, what you could do is, rub, in other words, you grab the, 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 you grab the, the lice off of the beged, and then you rub it. You rub it with your fingers and you throw it away. So you're rubbing it with your fingers; it ain't going to come back. You probably gave it a, a, you probably broke its back. You probably injured it. Then throw it away. Don't crush it. Just moil it. In other words, take it and rub it with your fingers and then throw it away. That's what you should do. Um, don't kill it. Abishol was afraid you might kill it. So he says, take it off of you and don't be moil it. Just throw it away right now. Because Abishol was like Rabbi Eliezer. He's afraid that once you, if, if this is a suffix daraisa, then even by rubbing it, you might be crushing it and killing it. So therefore, break its leg or something. But we don't even want you to do that. Pick it off and throw it away, Abishol says. Next. Amar Ravuna halacha mailo v'zayrek v'zeu kvoidoi. 
The Allah is you can do it on Shabbos, and that's a covered. We're not worried about getting, don't kill it outright, but you can grab it off of you and throw it away. And rub it and throw it away. This is the way you should do it. Rabba was very makbid on Shabbos. What he would do is he would injure it. He would he would like he would he would, he would take the louse off of the person and he would like cut its wings off or cut its leg off. Rava would put it into a a a, 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 a plate of water. Amru Rav Nachman Labinte. Rav Nachman would tell his daughter, Katlun, I want you to kill those bugs on me. Vashminili Kola the Sanvasai. I want you to throw them and I want to hear the voices. I want to hear the sound of them dying because they make my life terrible, these itchy things. So you can do it. Tanir Shimon Lazarimer, Ain Organismachos Beshabas Divir Beshamai. Beshamai is the one who holds like Rebel Yezer, that we treat it like a like like an animal. Basilel Matirin. Let's look at the Rashi. Rashi is uh, four lines from the bottom. Can Mafarish time of Perak Shmonish Rotsim? Me'elim Udamim, the Mishkan. Ma'elim Param Viravim, just like the rams that they stripped, they killed them and stripped their skins off to make the covering of the Mishkan. They are sexual beings. It comes out of the person's body from sweat and dirt. It doesn't come from pru or vu of other animals. That was the sheet of Beis Hillel. On Shabbos, you should not go over, if you've got a daughter, you shouldn't go over to someone and say, hey, let's make a shidduch between my daughter and your son. This is going to be the deal. They're going to get married. I'll support them for 10 years. They'll go into the furniture business. You don't do that on Shabbos, even though it's a, it's, it's a nice thing because you want the couple to have security. You don't use Shabbos for that. And let's say you find someone in shul that you know gives private lessons and can be a good rebbe for your son. You don't go over to that person on Shabbos and say, let's make a deal. This is what I'll pay you. This is what he needs to learn. Or let's say you want your teenage son to become an apprentice by somebody. You don't go over to that older person and speak about the son working for him on Shabbos. And you don't go over to someone who's, who's, who's lost a relative. You don't Menachem Oval on Shabbos. Now this is because you're going to feel bad, big Menachem Oval. You're going to feel bad seeing a person really so sick. Who holds this? Beishamai. Beishamai holds this as activities you don't do on Shabbos. Beishil says these are mitzvahs. You're allowed to do it. It's True, these aren't, right? Even getting a person in, into a school, getting a person to be an apprentice, getting a person to make a shidduch, to start the shidduch off. These are all mitzvahs. You can talk about it according to Beisilel, according to Beishamai not. Tanar Abonan, we've got uh, four, four or five minutes. I just want to finish off here. Tanar Abonan, Nikon Slovakar, Sachola, Omar, Shabbos, When you come in to, to be Mavakir, Achola, you don't say, Oh, I'm praying for you. I want you to get better. You tell the Chola, it's Shabbosim milizok. It's not a day to scream. Shabbatim milizok. You can stop screaming. Shabbatim milizok. 
refuah, and the refuah will happen. In fact, if you actually respect Shabbos and don't make individual pushing prayers today, but understand how beautiful Shabbos is, Shabbos itself can be a refuah for you. Refuah krovalovo. Rav Meir Omer, what does he say? Yechol Rav Meir says, tell him, Shabbos itself can create Rachmanis for you. Next page, Omid Beis of today's daf. Rav Yudah Omer, Hamokam Yerachem Alecha. Rav Yudah says, V'alchol Yisrael, that what you should say, either on Shabbos or a weekday, you should say, God should have Rachmanis on you and other Cholim. Rav Yosef says you have to say it better. Hamokam Yerachem Alecha B'tochol Yisrael. You say it not just you and them, but you as part of them. Even though you're worried about him, you want that kind of, you don't want that person's averot to stand out. So you 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 include him with the rest of Chol Yisrael. Many of the menogam that we have are based on this gemara that we're doing right now. Shalom. He would say Shalom, which you know is one of the names of God. That's what he would do when he would go to visit someone who was sick on Shabbos. Keep Shabbos in peace. That's what you tell somebody. If someone is ill, you mention him, even though it's your relative, your son, your daughter, your wife, you daven for him with everyone else. That's like Rabbi Yossi. Even though Hillel says it's all right, they really weren't so crazy about it because it does make you sad to go into a base of Hillel. When I, we would go to visit sick people, sometimes uh, Rebbe Lezer would say, he would say in Hebrew, Hamokom Yifkeducha Lishalom. Vizimden Omar, Rachmana Yadkiranach Lishram. He would speak in Aramaic. So Omar says, Hechi Yavadachi. Why did he sometimes speak in Aramaic when he was trying to give a bracha to a chola? When a person wants to daven, he shouldn't use Aramaic. He should use Loshana Kodesh. Why? Because Ein Malachi when you daven in Hebrew, when you use Lashon HaKodesh, not Hebrew, then the Malachim can help your prayers. But if you use Aramaic language, the Malachim don't understand Aramaic. So they can't help your, your tefillot. So why, when you're going to this chola, why aren't you saying it? Uh, why are you using, why did Rebbe Lazar sometimes speak in Aramaic? So let's see the reason. The Gemara says, "Shiny chola the shchina imo." If the chola is right there when you're talking to him, you don't need the malachim. The shchina himself is with the ill person. The Yomer of Anan Amarav Minayin Shchina Soed Es Achola. How do you know that the shchina is there with the sick person? Shnemar Hashem Yisadeno Eres Dvoi. That God is supporting the person in the sick bed. God Himself is there, so you can use Aramaic, and especially if you you express yourself better in Aramaic, and the person understands you better in Aramaic because he doesn't understand Hebrew, then you can use that language, and it's good enough to be a tefillah for the cholim.
Tanya Namiochi, Aniklas Ovakas, Acholo Yeshav, Logabi Mito, Logabi Kise. Don't sit on the bed, don't sit on the chair, sit on the floor. Miss Atef, you can cover yourself up, Vyoshev Lafanov. And you sit there, and, and the cholos should be higher than you, because the shchin is l'mayel mireshal sof shol cholos. And Amar Hashem Yisadeno Eres Tvoi, Amar Rabba Amar Rabbi Me'achik Kodesh Baruch Hu Zonas Acholos. And Amar Hashem Yisadeno Eres Tvoi. God Himself. Sometimes you have a cholos nebuch who doesn't seem to want to eat. God makes sure that God somehow provides food for him. Hashem Yisadeno. Somehow you have people that they're not eating and they keep on existing. That's because a chol has a special hashgacha protest from Hashem that he can survive. But the point for us is, is that you're allowed, first of all, to have kavad hashchina when you go to visit someone and realize the shchina is with the chol. And therefore, don't act like you're the big man and lower yourself. The second is you're allowed to daven in whatever language because the shechin is there and it's a place for the tefillahs to be niskab. Okay, so that's, we didn't finish, but we did quite a bit. That's it for today. Do we have any points, any questions? Anybody want to say anything? Can we get a minion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are, certainly. We are, we are, I see 11 people. The head rabbi in Israel, he said you can pray uh, like that, like a minion with the internet. Um, I, suck, I think Rabbi Herman disagrees. Well, All right. I, I don't believe so. Uh, tonight is Wednesday. We'll see everybody tomorrow night. Um, Yonatan and I are going to work, and we'll see if it's going to be the, uh, a different what, one every night. What the, rabbi, what the rabbi meant in Israel, we need to look at the halakha. He didn't say we can do minyan through the internet. He said if there is a live minion going on somewhere and there's a live stream and you can stream it from your house, you can answer amen and join them in Kedusha. The Kedusha. Yeah, yeah. All right. But I don't think we can do it like in the Where, where they do it? The schus of what we are learning about Bikracholim, the schus of Tfilot, should should all be schuyot and, and taking away yeah, from yeah, right? There's a, a first a first casualty in Crown Heights uh, tonight, unfortunately. Okay. No long. <laughs> all right, we'll see everybody. Bye bye. Good night. Thank you very much. All right, take care. We'll see you tomorrow night at seven thirty. Uh, I'm inside now. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.